I want to talk to you today about the practice of being set apart. I believe that for us to be a people who carry a new hope, we have to be people whose lives are shaped and empowered by radical prayer and extravagant worship. And we see Jesus teach us about prayer in our passage today. So reading from verse five of chapter six, Jesus says, and when you pray, Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Recently, my friend and I decided to go down to our local cafe for a coffee. And as we were walking there, we walked past a recently opened spin studio. And I'm not one to shy away from high intensity indoor cycling. So I thought, I'm gonna pop in and have a little bit of a squeeze. So we walked in, and as we walked in, I was overcome by the smell of incense and what I thought might have been patchouli. And I thought, I don't think this is an ordinary spin studio. And then suddenly, a very petite, very perky, very high ponytailed woman pops up from behind the counter. She says, hi, welcome. I'm Valentine, how can I help you? I was like, hello, Valentine. We've come here today because we're just interested in finding out a little bit more about the workout classes that you offer. She said, "Mm, well, we don't just offer workout classes. I said, oh, okay. What do you do then? She said, well, we help you own your life's beat. I was like, okay. (laughs) But like, you do exercise, yeah? She's like, yeah, we do, but really what it's about is helping you unlock your potential. It's really about you becoming your best self because you know when your body moves, your soul changes. I was like, okay. (laughs) And my friend who I was with, she's not a Christian, and I looked over to her and she was utterly enchanted by this. And she's like, wow, that's amazing. (laughs) And I'm like, she said, can we, can we have a look at your studio? And Valentine said, it's not a studio, it's a sanctuary. <laughs> and I'm like, go on Valentine, take us down to the sanctuary. <laughs> so we go downstairs into this dimly lit candles everywhere room and there are rows of exercise bikes in the room and on the front is this neon lettering that says surrender to the beat. And I said, so what happens in this room, Valentine? And she's like, well, you clip on and you connect. And whatever it is that you're facing in your life, you just sweat it all out on the bike. And I was like, 
great. <laughs> and as Valentine continued to show us around the studio, my friend turned to me and she's like, we really need to come back here. And I'm like, oh, are you like, are you like into this? She's like, yeah. I mean, I'm just really looking for a space in my life where I can just connect with my true self, you know? I'm just looking for a space in my life where I can really discover who I am and what I'm all about and overcome all of the obstacles to me being my true self. I'm like, hun, have you tried prayer? And she's like, but I also wanna work my core. <laughs> and I said to her, okay, here's the deal. I'll go with you to one of these classes. If you come with me to Alpha, and we'll see who wins. Sound good? <laughs> There's something in the heart of all of us that longs to have an experience where we connect with something other than ourselves to transcend our current reality. And for Christians, we find that experience in prayer and in worship. It's where we commune with God Himself. It's the very purpose for which we were made. And for those of us that have been Christians for some time, we've been in church for a long time, we might come to prayer and we might approach it as though it's a routine. We may look at even a passage like this and be like, yeah, I know that, I've memorized it. But actually, every time I revisit Jesus' teaching on prayer, I discover a new depth to it. The model that Jesus gives us for prayer in this passage is not a formula, it's not a script, it's an invitation into a relational journey. It's a map that should shape the trajectory of our lives. It is a practice of being set apart. And Jesus teaches us three things about what it means to be set apart. First, he says, get a set apart place. Jesus says to his followers, when you pray, don't make it a show. There are some who make prayer a public performance where they're simply wanting to impress people around them. But what reward is there in that? Jesus says, when you pray, go into your most private room, close the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. True prayer happens in a set apart space. It's the space where you're not impressed by the voices or the eyes of people around you. It's where you are present for the audience of one person and one person only, your Father in heaven. True prayer happens in a set apart space. And here's the thing about London, it can be really hard to find a set apart space, to guard a set apart space. So you're gonna have to do this by design, not by default. It has to be the result of your choice and your intention. For me, my set apart space is an hour in the morning before all of my flatmates have gotten up and I do what any Australian does. I take my independently roasted coffee, I make a pot of coffee, I sit in secret with my Bible and my journal before the Lord. I mean, it was in secret, but now that I've told you, it's not in secret. 
that some of you, you might spend two, maybe three hours in the morning. You might have way more stamina than me. For others of you, it might just be 10 minutes in the shower before your kids start demanding things of you. Others of you, it might be your lunchtime where you take a walk in the middle of the day just to connect with God. For others of you, it might be a regular hour or two in the 24-7 prayer room, wherever it is. Get a set-apart space. But a set-apart space isn't necessarily always an isolated space. Yes, Jesus, we see that He often withdrew to lonely places to pray. But we also see in the Bible an encouragement to gather together with believers to pray. We see this in the book of Acts when Jesus tells His disciples to gather together in an upper room and to pray and to wait for the Spirit. Sometimes a space becomes set apart before God when we gather together with fellow followers of Jesus, united by the Spirit, lending our faith to one another. The 7 a.m. prayer meetings on a Tuesday, that's a set apart space. Your connect groups are a set-apart space. Kingdom Come is a set-apart space. The service that you're in right now, it's a set-apart space. God, the set-apart space, because that is where you will receive your reward from the Father who loves what you do in secret. And once you've got a set-apart space, take a set-apart posture. We read in verse nine that Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. How we view God in prayer is how we will receive from God in prayer. So if I agree to come before God as my Father, then I also agree to come before Him as a child and receive from Him as a child, and that's going to require a realignment of my posture. Because I don't know about you, but I can be a little bit self-sufficient. I like to control my life. I think I'm quite good at it, not only my life, but sometimes other people's as well. (laughs) I like to think that I've got what it takes to perform really well that I can qualify myself and and earn good things from God. I like to think I'm a gold star student. But it's really difficult to come before the Father like that. It's really difficult to come before a perfect Father in heaven who gave His Son to make a way for me and pretend like I've got it all together. It's really difficult for me to come before a Father and convince him that I've performed my way there, that I've somehow earned it. Because he sees right through that, and even more so, he doesn't even require it. Faith is an act of surrender, not an act of striving. And when Jesus teaches us to speak to God as Father, He's teaching us to take a set-apart posture. He's teaching us to realign the attitude of our heart to match the attitude of His heart as a son to a father. He's teaching us to mirror His perspective. And within this prayer, Jesus does teach His followers to ask for the forgiveness of sin. And in doing so, Jesus wasn't demonstrating his own acknowledgement of sin. He was without sin. What he's doing is he's revealing something about the posture of his father towards us in our sin. Jesus is saying, when you sin, 
when you miss the mark of what's good and true, which let's be real, we all do, when you live your life in such a way that it's turned in on itself, don't run away from the Father, run towards Him. He is totally unlike your imperfect earthly father. Punishment is not waiting for you in your Father in heaven, restoration is. The forgiveness of sin is. Acknowledge that you are in the trap of self-sufficiency and let your Father in heaven set you free. This is what we call repentance. And the Bible says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. To repent is just to change the way that you think. It's just to realign your posture and your perspective to match the posture and perspective of Jesus. So in prayer, I get a set-apart space. I take a set-apart posture as a daughter before her father. And I say, Father, I've tried to do it all on my own. I've tried to be self-sufficient. I've tried to perform my way into blessing. But here I am before you and I'm empty and I'm full of need and I'm fully dependent on you because you promised that you would supply my every need. And I know that everything that I need to flourish in my life and throughout eternity was purchased by Jesus Christ on the cross. So I've come before you, Father, needy, dependent, like a child, and I'm saying, Holy Spirit, redirect my attention away from my self-sufficiency and direct it towards Jesus Christ's all-sufficiency. If you wanna be powerful in a public place, first learn to be powerless in a private place. The reason I can stand before you today and speak the Word of God to you is not because I've earned my way here. It's because I spent a little bit of time, or a lot of time probably, in a secret place before my father, needy, dependent, asking him to give me everything that I need, which means that I can now stand before you unapologetically because I know it doesn't depend on me. I'm not giving you something out of myself. I'm giving you something that I've already received from my Father in heaven, and I'm just a daughter doing my dad's work. I take the posture of a child because how I approach him in prayer is how I receive from him in prayer. We are most powerful in public when we are powerless in private. So we get a set-apart space, we take a set-apart posture, and then we fix a set-apart focus. Verse nine goes on to say, hallowed be your name. That's a church word, isn't it? Hallowed. We don't really walk around saying that a whole lot. I used to be a teacher, as you've heard, and I was trained as a secondary school teacher, um, but when I first moved to London, I did a little bit of work in primary school. And look, I've just got to say, I much prefer secondary school teaching. I said before, I'd much rather they throw a chair at me than ask me to tie up their shoelaces. But one of the things I've noticed is when you're teaching high schoolers, most of what you do is pretty annoying for them. But when you're teaching primary school students, everything you do is amazing. So I was in front of a year three class one day and I was teaching them some poetic techniques. Techniques. I was teaching them to rhyme and as a way of kind of modeling this for them, I sort of came up with a rhyme on the spot. And one of my students in the second row, he throws down his pen, he's like, Miss King, you're on fire. 
What he didn't know is I just recited the lyrics to a Lauren Hill song, but he doesn't need to know that. <laughs> it's the privilege of a child to stand in awe of someone who can do what they cannot do. It's the privilege of a child to stand before someone in wonder who they see as being capable of things they could never dream of achieving themselves. And that's what we're doing when we say, hallowed be your name. We're declaring the greatness of God. Hallowed means this, regarded as holy, venerated, sacred. Hallowed means set apart. So we're saying, hallowed be your name, God. Holy is your name. Sacred is your name. Your name cannot be overcome. Your name is set apart. Your name is unlike any other name. The declaration of hallowed be your name is a declaration about the magnificence and the glory and the beauty and the majesty and the unlike any other extravagance of who God is. And this posture of praise, it happens before petition. We see that Jesus says, we make the declaration, hallowed be your name, before we start asking for stuff. Before you articulate your need before God, before you contend for another in intercession, let praise be on your lips. Let thanksgiving be your first choice. Let rejoicing be your primary posture. Fix your eyes on a set-apart God, on a hallowed God, on a holy God. And I know that many of us here today, we're facing very, very real challenges. Challenges to our physical health, our mental health, challenges relationally, challenges financially. And you know, it, it feels like it can take a lot of effort to even muster up the faith to pray, let alone come before God and rejoice. You might be thinking, I don't know, Susie, like, I don't know what I have to be joyful about right now. In James chapter one, verse two, it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Another translation puts it like this, my fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ is made most visible, visible in the face of impossibility. When Jesus died on a cross and he was placed in a tomb, I can imagine that his disciples were faced with an impossible situation. Everything that they'd given up their lives for now seemed to be defeated. But in just three days, Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead. And in doing so, he defeats the powers of death, sin, and darkness. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ was made most visible in the face of impossibility. And so that means that to rejoice in the midst of a trial is to be more impressed with the victory of Jesus than the size and the weight of the trial. It doesn't mean we undermine the reality of the trial. It doesn't mean we don't recognize that we're in the midst of a battle. 
It's just to recognize that everything that you will ever need to walk through that trial was purchased by Jesus Christ on the cross. Everything that you are facing that seems like an impossibility was overcome through the resurrection power of Jesus. Jesus is victorious, irrespective of what your circumstances look like. And He's constantly looking to demonstrate His victorious power, His resurrection power in your life. Believe me, it's true. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every single chain every single chain. There was not an issue that Jesus faced when He walked the earth that He did not have a redemptive solution for. Every chain is broken in the name of Jesus Christ. So to declare, hallowed be your name, in the face of difficulty is to declare the victory of Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm in the midst of a battle, but Jesus, you are victorious. Yes, I'm in the midst of a battle, but I'm a child who was held by the Father and He is relentless in His desire to be good towards me. So here's what we do when we pray. Here's what we do when we worship. We get a set-apart space. We take a set-apart posture. We fix a set-apart focus on God. And we don't just pray for our sake, we pray for Jesus' sake, because as I am satisfied, Jesus is glorified. As He supplies every one of my needs, He is magnified, He is lifted up, He is glorified and hallowed through answered prayer. So can I call you today to be a body of people who so realign our hearts to the posture and perspective of Jesus. And we learn what it means to be consecrated, but also we know what it means to celebrate. We know what it means to realign, but we also know what it means to rejoice. We know what it means to be dedicated to God, but we also know what it means to delight. What will your year look like if you allow this rhythm to set the trajectory of your life? What would it look like if we as a church committed to this? I firmly believe that we would see the kingdom of God come in this city, in our lives, on earth, as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.